page 531. So in Lord's Day 17, we have a summary of what Scripture teaches about Christ's resurrection. And so we'll read this summary of Scripture, and then after we'll sing and then read a passage from the Holy Word. So Lord's Day 17, starting at first question answer 45. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he can make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Thus far, the summary of Scripture from God's perfect word, Luke chapter 24. So here we see evidence of the fulfillment of what we just sang, that God is the one who can deliver and uphold even in the face of enemies like death. So Luke chapter 24, and we'll read the first 49 verses. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. 
The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When they said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Thus far the reading of God's word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you guys know what a linchpin is? A linchpin. It's the pin that's used to secure a trailer to a tractor. It's a small piece of metal that secures two things 
together. Without it, everything would fall apart and become disconnected. Well, this afternoon, we'll be meditating on the linchpin of our salvation, the work of God's salvation, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, without Christ's resurrection, everything else in our Savior's work falls apart. Now, as we meditate on this linchpin, it's my prayer that we would be built up and strengthened in our faith and love for God. And so the theme and point summarizing God's holy word to us is that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And we'll see three things. First, that the resurrection is evidence for us. And then second, that it's righteousness for us. And finally, that it's hope for us. And so first, the resurrection of Christ is evidence for us. Evidence that Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world sent by God the Father. Jesus Christ himself, on several occasions, prophesied that he would rise again bodily after dying. Look at Luke 24, verses 6 to 8. He is not here. He has risen. Remember what he told you before while he was still with you. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Jesus publicly told everyone this, that this is what would happen. Even our Lord's enemies knew about this, which is why they made sure that the grave of Christ was guarded and was sealed by a large rock. And you know that one way to prove a prophet is false is by examining whether his prophecies come true. And with Christ, we know that he is true and good because his prophecy came true. These prophecies are evidence for us. And the resurrection of Jesus is also confirmed by the word and sacrament. For instance, if you look at Luke 24, verses 25 to 27, we just read, He said to them, How foolish you are, slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus shows that his resurrection is evidence that he is from God because the Old Testament had been telling the entire world that this is what was going to happen, that the Savior would have to first die and then rise again. And after that, Jesus blesses and breaks the bread for them. And in this sacramental meal with the two disciples, the disciples, what happens? They're convinced that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead. Verse 31 and 32, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning with us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? We see here that the, the word and the sacrament of Lord's Supper, through these, the disciples' faith is built up and confirm that Jesus is indeed the risen Savior of the world. 
And the same is true for us, brothers and sisters. The word and the sacraments are not, are, are not gifts instituted by someone who's dead. Right? They are gifts from Jesus Christ, who is alive, and since he's alive, therefore working through them. Because he is alive, the means of grace are able to be powerful in our hearts. If he wasn't alive, rather than being living and active, the word and sacrament would be dead and useless. For our hearts could not be opened by Christ's spirit. And so we know Jesus is resurrected because he has opened our minds through the means of grace. And after giving evidence before his death and then in the word and sacraments, Christ also gives evidence to the disciples in his very living body. In verse 37 to 43, we read, They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Jesus does not hide or make his resurrection obscure or mystical. Rather, he makes his resurrection public. He makes it verifiable and trustworthy. Even the most devout disciples, after the other evidences and testimonies, they were still struggling with doubts. And so our patient teacher, Jesus Christ, he steps right into the limelight and he urges them, see for yourself. Look with your eyes. Touch with your hands. Hear my voice with your ears. Examine with your minds. See and behold the undeniable evidence before you. And the disciples, they believed Christ was the redeemer of the world. But when he died, their faith was struggling. But Christ's resurrection was evidence to their faith that it is true. Jesus is the one sent by God. But you might be thinking to yourself this morning, or others may present this objection to you. Well, that's nice for the disciples. Jesus gave them evidence. They got to see him crucified and resurrected and see his resurrected body. But we don't get that now. That's not evidence for us. Well, let's keep reading from Luke. We'll read from verse 46 to 49 to answer this objection. There we read, he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, 
but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The disciples are witnesses of these things, right? These aren't some made-up people. They are real people like you and I. And they saw, they touched, they knew for certain that Jesus rose from the dead. When investigators of a crime try to find out what happened, first-hand witnesses are the best evidence you can get. The detectives can't relive the event, but if they have first-hand witnesses, they can easily get the evidence they need to convict a felon of a crime. Well, with the disciples, the world has first-hand evidence, first-hand witnesses. The disciples have revealed to the world the truth of what happened, that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior from God. And we know this because the Lord raised him from the dead. The resurrection was central to their preaching. But you might say, how do we know these guys are telling the truth? What if they are lying, someone might say, or making it up? Well, a detective would look at their actions to see if they were living in a lie or if they were living for some alter- lying for some ulterior motive. Well, we could think to ask ourselves, did the disciples, did they get rich out of this? Did they get powerful? Well, no. Most of them, as we know from history, died brutal deaths. They were martyred for confessing that Jesus had risen from the dead. People will often deny something that they know is true when they're tortured. They'll deny something they know is true. How much more when they know that it's false? And the disciples, they also lived through very difficult times. They were poor. They were tortured, beaten, oppressed. They traveled great distances. And traveling back then wasn't a luxury like it is today. Thomas, for instance, the one who first doubted Christ's resurrection, he likely traveled to India, of all places, India, all the way from the Mediterranean. He did so just to share that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, to share that truth. What would cause someone to do all that, travel thousands of miles? Would they do that just to tell a lie? It's not because he had nothing better to do with his time. It was because he knew for a fact that Jesus was the resurrected Savior of the world. And he wanted everyone to know this as well. But you might reply, maybe they suffered all this not because Jesus factually rose from the dead, but for an ideological reason, right? In our day and age, people will go through all sorts of extreme things for ideological reasons, right? Maybe they came up with a spiritual religion they thought would make the world a better place. This is what some people think. And because of this good motive, they kept to the lie even if it cost them their life. But this hypothesis, it doesn't actually match the evidence. 
A good detective would quickly recognize that while it's possible for a small group of people to mutually commit to some kind of ideology or pact like this, sooner or later one of them would crack or let something slip. There's a phrase that I've heard that says, two can keep a secret, but only when one of them is dead. Two can keep a secret, but only when one of them is dead. But could you really keep a secret between hundreds of people when everyone's life is on the line? It doesn't seem likely. And neither does this hypothesis account for the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was devoted to to Judaism. He was an enemy of the followers of the resurrected Christ. He wasn't a part of that inner circle that could, as the theory goes, make a secret pact and take their ideological lie to the grave. Rather, what we see is that Paul preached for a long time before ever meeting the leaders of the church. And yet, despite this, he still preached the resurrected Christ apart from them. And the reason why did Paul do this? Because he knew for a fact with his own senses that Jesus had risen from the dead, that he is not the dead Savior of the world, but the living Savior of the world. Paul and the other New Testament writers are wonderful and faithful witnesses to Christ's resurrection. And so may our faith be strengthened and encouraged by all this evidence. In our second point, now we see that Christ has risen from the dead to give us righteousness. You know, if Christ never rose from the dead, even though he suffered and died, did you know that we would not be justified? God would still see us as sinners deserving his wrath and judgment rather than seeing us as his spotless children. And we know this from 1 Corinthians 15. Let me read three verses from there. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, what are they? They're lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, that would mean death had defeated God's plan of salvation. We would not know if Jesus had actually fully paid for all our sins. But because Jesus was resurrected and his body glorified, we know that death was defeated and that our sins were dealt with. They are no more. They were left in the grave, so to speak. And God promises that all those who believe in Jesus as their Savior, they're united to him. And when we are united by faith to God, our Lord looks at us as though he were looking at Jesus. 
God considered Jesus innocent. He considered him righteous. And therefore, for this reason, he raised him from the dead and gave him a perfected body that would last forever. And this mean that means that when God looks at us, at believers, he considers you just as innocent, righteous, and glorious as the resurrected Christ. Isn't that a great comfort? We see here that the resurrection gives us assurance that through faith in Jesus, God has forgiven us and looks upon us as he looks upon our resurrected Savior in heaven. And finally, our third point, the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. But this isn't just any kind of hope. It's a bodily hope, which is in contrast to many other religions where there is no bodily hope. The false hope these other religions give is that believers escape the body. For instance, you can escape the cycle of bodily reincarnation, or you escape the material world, the material world which can only actually bring suffering. There is hope. Their hope is that when there is no more matter, there is no more resurrected body. That's their hope. And some Christians can even fall into this kind of thinking that our eternal hope is to become like angels, spirits in heaven. But rather, in contrast to this, what we see in Scripture is that the real Christian hope is the resurrection of the body, the new heaven and the new earth. God's creation is inherently good. He will not abandon the material works of his hand. And so in Christ's resurrection, believers are given such a wonderful hope to look forward to. Let's hear from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul says there, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. There's so much strength for the, the soul of believers in these few verses. Paul reminds us that just as Jesus rose bodily, so all believers who have died will also be resurrected just like him. And so if you have lost brothers or sisters in the faith, this is a comfort for you that they are not dead, truly. Because of Christ's resurrection, they are living and you will one day see them face to face. But beyond that, there is another hope that we will also see our Savior face to face. Though you might not see Jesus now as the Apostle Thomas and the others saw Jesus, yet our Lord says, blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. On that day, our faith will become sight. 
No longer will we have to read and trust the witness of God's perfect word, but we will see the word in the flesh. We will be in his very presence. We will be be able to gaze on his glorified face. And it's this coming of the Lord in resurrection power which is our great encouragement. That passage from 1 Thessalonians continues. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, Paul says, encourage one another with these words. This is what we eagerly look forward to. Jesus returning to us, resurrecting his people. This is the hope we have to encourage one another with. When the church loses brothers and sisters, when believers are weighed down by the burdens of life, encourage one another with these words. Jesus is returning with resurrection power. Dear congregation, every blessing you can find in God's holy word rests upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Give thanks to God for the certain evidence he has given us that Jesus is the one and only way of salvation. Let us praise our Lord for the grace, the mercy, and the love that he gives us through the resurrection. When we remember that the Father raised the Son from the dead, we know that He certainly has forgiven us and considers us innocent as Jesus Christ. So Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We know He is coming back and we shall see Him with our own eyes. And all his people will be resurrected like him to be with him forever. This is the foundation of the Christian hope. Let us encourage one another with this truth throughout the week. Amen.